Welcome, dear listeners, to Other Worlds. Today I'm accompanied by Thomas Overduin. He has written a paper which he wants to talk about. Thomas, could you introduce yourself? Yep, I am Thomas. I'm a history student at Utrecht University. And I wrote a paper on the influence of heroic narratives on Tolkien's work and how these narratives shaped Tolkien's and our own understanding of the heroic myth and more specifically the two main features of heroic narratives. These are the contrast between good and evil and the portrayal of heroes in Tolkien's universe and more specifically in the Silmarillion. Yeah, so as you might have guessed, we're going to be talking about Tolkien today. And I want to give a quick spoiler warning for all the works Tolkien has written because we're going to be talking about them. And to be able to do that, we'll have to go into detail. So if you haven't read them yet, please go do that because they're very good and then return to us for our in-depth analysis of his works. So Thomas, could you please introduce Tolkien, who he was and some of his background? Tolkien was an English linguist and he wrote, of course, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, which you are, I think, all familiar with. If you haven't read the books, we have probably seen the movies. The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings are centered around the destruction of the One Ring and the forces of evil, whereas the Silmarillion, which is another work by Tolkien, explores the mythical creation of Tolkien's world and the universe. So, and why did you want to write specifically about Tolkien? So, Tolkien and his portrayal of evil and the contrast of good and evil and the way he uses these narratives influence not only our own understanding of high fantasy literature but also our understanding of not necessarily the the moral and ethical concept of good and evil but also his portrayal of good and evil as represented by light and darkness all right and you have focused mostly on the silmarillion right of yeah. all Tolkien's works uh, mostly focused on the silmarillion yeah so and Silmarillion is this big prequel book and you wanted to specifically talk about predetermination. Yeah. Well, because I've focused mostly on the Silmarillion, I think some foreknowledge is required. The Silmarillion is a collection of myths and stories written by Tolkien, the first of which tells of the creation of the world and the universe. And the second story describes the universe's supernatural and spiritual beings, the Valar and the Maiar and Melkor's turn to darkness. Melkor was to become the first uh, Dark Lord. And the third book chronicles the events during the War of Wrath, a series of battles fought over the Silmarils, which are precious Elvis jewels. All right. And like you wanted to talk about predetermination. What do you mean by that in the context of Tolkien? Predetermination is the idea that events have been decided and arranged beforehand, probably by the universe's uh, higher and supernatural beings. In Tolkien's universe, this is Eru Iluvatar, and Eru Iluvatar is the all-powerful god and the spiritual beings of Tolkien's uh, universe, the the Valar, were molded from Eru Iluvatar's thought, and when he did, he gave them vocal themes to sing and help him create the world. And each of the Valar added his or her own part to this music, effectively creating the world. Now, Melkor, who was counted as the strongest among the Valar, 
he had his own ideas and desires of what the world should look like and he added them into Eru Uluventa's music, effectively uh, adding his own selfish thoughts into the music. Now, Eru Uluventa, upon hearing this, does not prevent Melkor from doing what he wants and bringing disharmony and discord into the music of the other Vala. Uh, quite the contrary, Melkor does not step down and continues to rebel. But Eru Uluvta tells Melkor that no choice he makes, whether to obey or rebel, will foil for uh, Eru Uluvta's plans. Indeed, his actions will prove to be an instrument in devising things more wonderful and enhancing Eru Uluvta's power and glory. And of course, this reminds you maybe of something about Tolkien that's very well known. There's a lot of this Catholicism shining through mm-hmm. in here, right? Yep. So... I think Luftar's whole creation story and like his characterization also very much mirrors the um, Christian God and Catholicism. Would you agree with that? Yeah, Yeah, I agree with that. I think that the creation and the fall of a creation that was intended to be good and to do good closely maps the, the creation story in Genesis. So, of course, this podcast is called Otherworld, so we wanted to talk a bit about othering first. Because there's also some of that present in Lord of the Rings, and this whole talk about predetermination is also a bit of a setup to get to that. Yeah. Could you explain the concept of othering uh, very briefly? Orcs and evil men are the forces of evil in the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and the Silmarillion, and they are considered the evil other. And for example, the Easterlings and the Haradrim are the dark-skinned people from the south come to, to ravage Gondor. Well, the Easterlings and the Haradrim stood opposed to the free peoples of the West. And a simple look at Tolkien's work could lead to the assumption that the text is one of the historical conflict or the perceived historical conflict of West versus East and good versus evil and mirroring what some believe is the case in, in our world. But that's likely not the case. Certainly the orcs and evil men are evil and a cultural other, but they look and behave in a fundamentally different way compared to the good side of the world. They are never painted as inherently evil. The orcs and, and southern men are an evil other, not because they are uh, lesser to other races, because they, out of fear for the Dark Lord, gave up their free will. And though it is clear that many of the myths which Tolkien drew upon, maybe unconsciously, sent a conflict against a dark-skinned other, I'd argue that the Orcs and Southern men are an evil other, not because they are fundamentally lesser to other races, but because they, out of fear, gave up their free will. So you've hinted already a bit about the evil author in Tolkien giving up their free will. And what do you think Tolkien's intent was behind framing it in that specific way? Well, in Tolkien's universe, goodness is often associated with light, whereas evil is represented by darkness. And Tolkien's goal and intention was not necessarily to divide his work into the ethical ideas of good and evil, but in in light and darkness. Evil beings have the appearance of darkness and are accompanied by darkness. So darkness is nothing more than an attribute of a physical being that is considered evil because of what they try to do to the protagonists. And this contrasts with, for example, the Elvis Jewels, the Silmarils, which were crafted from starlight and are thus light by their very nature. 
goodness is not considered an, an attribute but is considered good by its very nature. So Tolkien's goal was not necessarily to divide his world into the ideas of good and evil, but in light and darkness. And evil and darkness are not necessarily things in and of themselves, but rather attributes or absences. For example, the absence of good. Alright, so we've talked about the evil other, we've talked about predestination, but I've read a lot of things, I've seen the movie. At the end, of course, the good guys win, the ring is destroyed. So if everything is predestined, and if there is this all-powerful God, how do you figure there can be such a thing as this evil being that corrupts everything? Again, looking back at the story of Melkor and Iru Ilúvatar, it, it of course does raise the question why an all-powerful God would allow discord to exist in a world he intended to be good. And this is where free will and uh, free determination play important roles. And even though Melkor is eventually defeated, his successor, the Dark Lord Sauron, is still able to craft the One Ring, effectively allowing the forces of evil and evil itself to continue to exist. Why did Eru Ilúvatar allow the Ring such evil power? Of course, the Ring is eventually destroyed and the forces of evil are no longer, but the eventual destruction of the Ring shows how free will and predetermination can and do coexist. Throughout the story of the Lord of the Rings, Smeagol, who found the ring and obtained it by murdering his relative, is torn between his lust for the ring and his desire to be free of it. But eventually the ring takes over Smeagol's uh, free will. But when Bilbo finds the ring, he still has free will. In the end, he gives the ring willingly to Gandalf, and Gandalf passes it over to Frodo. And, and Frodo, of course, enters the Mount Doom. Uh, Smeagol, or Gollum, cannot stand the sight of his precious ring being destroyed, and he takes it off Frodo, uh, dances and trips and falls into the volcano, uh, destroying the ring. And to answer the question why uh, Eru Ulubatar allowed the ring to be crafted and have such evil power in the first place is to say that he allowed the ring such evil power because it was destined that that evil power would, would be its own undoing as he had warned Melkor. No choice he makes, Melkor and Sauron will foil for Iluvatar's plans. So Eru Iluvatar's plan was to destroy the forces of evil and the one ring. And what do you think Tolkien meant by framing the story in such a way? I think that the way Tolkien used free will and predetermination and the fact that they can coexist is to portray the real world in which certain events can indeed feel like they are destined to, to have happened, but we are still able to choose whether or not we do the good or the bad thing. And in that you also see his Christian belief shining through, I think. All right. Thank you so much for being here today, Thomas. This has been Otherworlds. Thank you all for listening to the first episode of Otherworlds. I just want to thank some people behind the scenes who you haven't heard yet. Bo Davids was in charge of editing this. The music and the logo that you have enjoyed so far has been created and written by Thomas Overdang. Production of the podcast was in the capable hands of Gijs Eipelaar. And promotional material has been uh, created by Adam Fiedel.